Today's global consumers clear in their demand for safe, affordable, and sustainable protein. To continue to meet these rising expectations requires both leadership and collaboration with food chain stakeholders, academia, and the veterinary community. Animal Health is pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout the protein supply chain here on this podcast, caring for animals and creating trust in food. Hello, and thank you for joining us for Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. We're pleased to amplify the voices of leaders throughout this protein supply chain, and we're glad you're here. In honor of Women's History Month and National Ag Day, we're talking to three leaders in agriculture who will share their experiences and discuss progress and opportunities to support and elevate women in agriculture, the veterinary profession, and throughout the industry. The number of women leading careers in this space continues to grow, so I'll start with a few statistics. 36% of U.S. farmers are women, and 56% of all farms have at least one female decision-maker, according to the 2019 Census of Agriculture. According to the American Veterinary Medical Association 2020 statistics, 64% of U.S. veterinarians are women, and 90% of certified veterinary technicians are women as well, as reported by the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges in 2017. Additionally, according to a 2017 report by the AAVMC, 80% of veterinary students are women, a stat that just 50 years earlier was reversed. But the numbers alone don't tell the whole story. Women are actively shaping and changing the agricultural and animal health industries, leading not only on the farm, but paving the way for the future of professional and industry organizations and agricultural businesses. I'm so excited to welcome my guest today, Trista Brown-Priest, CEO of Cattle Empire and third generation on the feeder operation. Terry Moore, Vice President, Communications for the American Farm Bureau Federation and formerly Deputy Director of Communications at the White House and Director of Communications at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And Dr. Marissa Hake, the CAF Vet and Director of Animal Welfare and Sustainable Farming for Fairlife, a dairy brand we all know. Trista, Terry, and Marissa, welcome to Caring for Animals and Creating Trust. Let's get started. So each of you represents different areas of the agricultural and animal health industry. So let's go around the table. And if you could, each briefly describe your current role and what made you choose your career path. Terry, let's start with you. You've had an illustrious career that includes serving at the White House. What led you to where you are today? Oh, my goodness. Such a simple question with such a complicated answer. Not really. I have had a crazy career path. I actually started as a reporter and then became the communications director for the governor of Nebraska. That led me to USDA, then the White House, then the Senate, then I was a consultant. And how did I end up here? Well, I think it comes back to a love of serving farmers and ranchers. I loved my time at USDA and really wanted to get back to that. And a desire to, I guess, help the agriculture community get more connected and more engaged. That's great. You know, my career also started as a reporter, so you never know where that's going to take you. Fantastic. So thanks, Terry. Trista, what about you? We've talked a little bit about this before. You joined your dad in the family business. What led you to where you are? Yeah. um, Thanks for having us, Jane. I guess back when I graduated high school, we'll go back to ancient history. Um, I was that kid that was never coming back to this terrible place. I thought I was going to go have some exciting life off somewhere else, not on the farm. But had the good fortune to graduate college in 2008 and um, didn't have many experiences or many options to 
work other places. Thankfully, there was a spot for me here at Cattle Empire. So I came back and realized it wasn't actually so terrible. I kind of loved it. So I went back and got my MBA and then I've been back full time since 2012. But a little bit about Cattle Empire. So we're a custom cattle feeder, uh, family owned and operated here in Southwest Kansas. We have a total capacity of 51,000 head the vast majority of which are owned by customers. So we are caretakers. Um, We feed and care for the animals from about six to 800 pounds up until they're ready to go to harvest. And uh, like Jane mentioned, uh, I work with my dad here. Our company was actually started by my grandpa in 1978. Dad Roy was our CEO for 25 years. And actually, I just transitioned to become the CEO here January 1st of 2022. So kind of a new role for me. But we're trying to let dad retire a little bit. Not that he ever will, but um, we're working that way. So, Marissa, let's talk a little bit. You have a big job now. You're the head of animal welfare and sustainable farming for Fairlife, very well-known brand. Talk to me about your job. Yeah. So in my role, I kind of consider myself having boots on the ground in two different places. One, I get to have my boot on the ground with my supplying dairy farms that supply us with milk. And then at the other side, I have my boot on the ground with a brand, right? So work for Fairlife, we're wholly owned by Coca-Cola. So we have some integration there. So I am a translator between the two. It's like, what's happening on our farms? How do I translate that up the supply chain to how do we communicate that out to our consumers? How do we communicate that out to our stakeholders? As well as taking that back, what is communication hearing from our customers and consumers? What are our stakeholders saying? And then translating that back down the line to our farms and what's happening there. And so get to kind of drive those initiatives, do all of our animal welfare governance um, with our farmers, as well as lead in, you know, our animal welfare space. So I sit under the sustainability umbrella within Fairlife, because at the end of the day, what's happening on our farms obviously has a big impact on our sustainability initiatives. And so really trying to lead in that space of how to solve the concern with consumers around what is the impact of dairy on the environment and really exciting area because I really think that dairy is, is specifically set up to win in that space. So I find that really exciting as well. So Terry, you didn't grow up on the farm, but now you find yourself connected to those farmers. Talk a little bit about, you know, what connects you to agriculture and makes you feel passionate about getting up every morning and doing what you do for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Sure, you bet. My grandparents on both sides of the family were farmers. I grew up with a great respect for farmers. And and as a kid, I detasseled corn. And boy, did I learn how hard a work farming (laughs) is doing that. Um, But really what, what drives me is seeing so much misinformation about agriculture and seeing how successfully anti agriculture activists built networks that agriculture wasn't keeping pace with. And so trying to to press forward, to build those networks, to tell the story of agriculture. And that's been really fun for me. You know, we're experimenting in all sorts of different directions at American Farm Bureau to get outside the echo chamber, if you will, and and reach new audiences. And and that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I know that we spend a lot of time trying to really advocate for agriculture to get the real story about, you know, American agriculture across to consumers and others in the food supply chain. So um, that's really great to hear. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, where we were, where we have come from. Um, Let's move to talking about where we are today. What changes have each of you seen in recent years to break the bias and advance female leadership at varying levels of the industry? And at the same time, what change is still needed? Terry, go ahead. We'll start with you. 
Well, you know, I think some of it happens naturally, right? As women increasingly assume leadership roles, their demonstrated ability helps to pave the way for greater acceptance of women in leadership roles, right? That's some of that just natural progression. But honestly, I still hear so often women say that they don't have the time to take on more responsibility or to engage at a higher level. And still all too common, in my opinion, a lack of confidence by women on the part of women. And so really encouraging that confidence and drive is I think part of the equation here. And then we have a responsibility on the organizational side as well. Certainly at American Farm Bureau, our board of directors is is male dominated. Um, our leadership team is actually female dominated on staff. And then we're growing the number of, of women presidents. We now have five state presidents and I think about a dozen state administrators, which is kind of the highest staff job at state farm bureaus. And then we've had a program called Women's Boot Camp. So we've graduated 223 women from this very, very intensive training program that is intended to do just that, to develop leadership skills and confidence in women. We have a class coming up next week, I guess, and we have 56 applicants for a 15-slot class. So we're seeing increased interest in engaging as well. That's really awesome. And I know what you're saying, you know, the communication was you can do it all, you can have it all. But then oftentimes I think the infrastructure is lacking for women to spread themselves, you know, across leadership at their company, you know, leadership in volunteer work, association work. So that there's more change, of course, that's needed. Trista, what about you? You are in a male-dominated world in the cattle industry. What changes have you seen to break the bias and, and what else needs to happen? Yeah, I, um, I've always made the joke that, that that's the best part of being in the cattle business is that when I go to the meetings, the women's restroom lines are always incredibly short. <laughs> um, but I do feel like we are making some progress, you know. 10 to 15 years ago, when I would go to a meeting, I would literally be the only girl there. And especially at that time, you know, when you're in your young 20s, that's very intimidating. I had the stability to realize that, you know, I guess I could have been fired for doing something at that meeting, but I had the ability to have that confidence to know that I wouldn't be asked to leave if I said something inappropriate or, you know, that kids sometimes say at meetings. But I think that is one thing that we're seeing more of. You know, there are more um, women coming to the meetings and and that confidence piece that Terry mentioned is just part of it. You have to go in there and not necessarily fake it till you make it, but, you know, listen and be there and don't don't be scared to be the only woman in the room. But I do, I do think we're making better progress there. I know a handful of other women now that are, you know, in the leadership ranks of their feeding organizations. So we're growing on them, but it, it is taking a while. Right. And that can be very intimidating to be the only woman in the room and measuring what you say, uh, like you mentioned, to make sure that you don't say things the wrong way, because often it's perceived differently from a woman than a man. So, Marissa, I'll start with these statistics because I think they kind of set the stage. They're stunning. You know, 36% of U.S. farmers are women. 56% of all farms have at least one female decision maker, according to the 2019 Census of Agriculture. And even more stunning is, according to the AVMA 2020 statistics, 64% of U.S. veterinarians are women, 90% of certified veterinary technicians are women, as reported by the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges. 
And according to the 2017 report by the AAVMC, 80% of veterinary students were women, a stat that 50 years ago was reversed. And a lot of those women are entering companion animal medicine and not large animal medicine. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. um, So I'm a part of the American Association of Bovine Practitioners, which is AABP. I'm on our membership committee because this is something that I'm really passionate about because for AABP, you just told me the stats for, you know, AVMA and kind of 64% of U.S. veterinarians are women. But when we look at bovine medicine, particularly, we just hit the 50-50 mark, actually. And so, you know, when we look at that as like, what, what's lagging? Why are we lagging behind in agriculture and specifically in, you know, cow medicine? I can't speak for you know, swine or poultry, the other ones, but I can speak specifically to bovine. You know, for me is women in this profession are so important. I've had so many people kind of blaze the trail before me, but I want to be able to build on their work, right? And so how can I keep building that road for the women that are behind me um, and alongside me as well? And so our numbers should represent what's graduating from vet school. So if 80% of women are graduating from vet school, we should have that reflection within food animal veterinarians. And so, you know, that's something that we're working on within the industry to identify what can we do to make this profession, you know, representative of what's coming out of vet school. And and then beyond that, once we build out, how can we make it more diverse and, you know, be more inclusive as well? You're right. And so as we move forward, what leadership skills do you think are most important? So as a woman today, you're in an awesome, highly visible leadership position. So what leadership skills do you think are most important to face the challenges on the farm, in the clinic, or, you know, sometimes in the boardroom? Yeah, you know, I think, again, it it goes back to communication is being brave enough to step up and talk about it. So my CEO and I were just at a meeting, and I'm on a leadership group that's, you know, a, a young kind of a young leadership group. And they stood up and they said, okay, this is our leadership group for the year. And our CEO texts me and he said, there's not enough women in that group. And he sees it, right? And so having those conversations, and then, you know, we've discussed it afterwards. He said, you know what, our E-suite isn't there, but our director level that you're at, we're there. We're 50-50. We're, we're moving our company in the right direction. And so partnering with companies who recognize that this is important and want to also work to get you there is super important. And then for me, is just finding mentors and mentees as I go along. And, you know, asking the hard questions to them and and feeling like I have a space where we can accommodate and talk about like, you know, I'm having this challenge. How can I address it? And and how can we make changes within our businesses to help other women who are going through the same thing? So, you know, discussing, you know, maternity leave as a unique challenge and balancing that with paternity leave and stuff like that. So, again, just having those conversations and then being willing to help others along the way. Is the industry doing enough to advance women? Terry, you you guys have this awesome program. You know, what else could we do? What could we do better? Oh, I think there's always room for improvement. You know, this year in particular, AFBF President Zippy Duval made a commitment to really, really urging and pressing and trying to inspire more inclusion and diversity. Everything from type of crop raised to region to race to gender to, you know, let's really open our arms and embrace and make sure people feel welcome. Not just say that, but actively demonstrate it and conduct outreach. And so 
it's something we're definitely cognizant of. And I don't know that that I have any great insight or solution in terms of industry-wide. As I said, I think it's a progression and I think that progression is happening and it's certainly worth working to accelerate, but I'm pleased to see the progress being made. Sure. And, and you said you have this leadership program. What leadership skills do you think are the most important to face today's challenges on the farm or in the clinic or in the boardroom? Oh, certainly uh, confidence in your abilities is part of it. You know, we keep coming back to that. I love what Trista said about believing you can do it, right? And, and some of it is in our training is practicing and walking through the steps. It's talking about what makes a good leader. It's talking about putting them in roles to actually act out how they would lead. It's media training. It's it's all those different components in that training. But, you know, something Trista said hit me because, you know, I've been very blessed that most of my career, new opportunities have come to me as opposed to me pursuing them. But in at least three or four of them, my first reaction was, oh my goodness, I can't do that job. You know, there's no way I'd be able to do that. Or I don't know enough to do that. And you buck up and you got to believe in yourself and then have the courage to make the leap. Right. Trista, what about you? I agree. And I guess not to get too candid about it, but I felt that way about this podcast. You know, and I think that's one thing that that I've been working on is that everybody feels imposter syndrome. That's not something that necessarily goes away. And so if you're going to a meeting and you feel like, oh, I don't belong here, or you're feeling that lack of confidence, just realize that probably everybody's feeling that way. It's not something that is unique to you or that actually means you're not qualified. It's just part of it. And eventually it'll go away. So one thing that I do is focus a lot on on what what can I do to help you know because I don't have a huge like um, women's training program or anything like that but when I do go to meetings and there's other women there I make sure to make you know sit next to them or do they have someone to eat lunch with because things like that are are what undermines me when I'm at a meeting anyway is if everybody's going to the bar for a beer after and you're sitting there by yourself that's when I feel out of place and so it's like hey let's go grab a snack you want some nachos or you know like let's go do something you know just making sure that the other women that are there with you feel welcome and and feel like they belong there right you know it it's um eliminates that feeling of isolation and I I love the paying it forward that's just outstanding so when we think about, you know, agriculture as a whole, no matter what place you are in agriculture on the farm or um, with an association or with a veterinary clinic, how has the increased influence of women in agriculture helped further the industry, do you think? Trista, go ahead. We'll start with you. I think that the having women involved has been a huge asset to the cattle industry, especially Nobody is more efficient at things than moms are. And I've got a greater appreciation of that in the last few years. But if you're trying to make big changes or even little changes, more efficient people on your team help move progress faster. So at the very least, having people that can just get in there and get things done quickly makes a big difference. And just having a different viewpoint, because even still, the vast majority of people that shop for groceries and that actually buy beef in the store are women. So if we know what women are looking for and we can produce that, then that's better for our industry as well. Right, right. Terry, what about you? How has the influence of women helped further the agriculture industry and, and from your perspective? Well, I think anytime you're, you're adding additional perspectives, broadening perspectives, 
it's going to benefit any organization or company or farm. You know, I, I don't want to fall into stereotypes about women versus men, but I do think to Trista's point, women are the consumers of food. I mean, they're the purchasers, they're often the decision makers. And so being able to relate to their perspective can be helpful when we think about how we bring the public along with changes happening in agriculture. Maybe being willing to put the defenses down and put ourselves in their shoes to better understand, right? This isn't a fight. This isn't a war. This is an engagement where we need to understand each other and looking at it from that perspective. Sure. That's a nice segue to, I wanted to talk about the Farm Bureau 2019 Women in Ag Survey. So in that survey, 91% of those women surveyed said there should be more women in leadership roles in the agriculture industry. How can women in agriculture today help pave the way for more equality in leadership in the future? And, and everybody can chime in, but Terry, let's go ahead and start with you. Well, that's a difficult question. Other than personally supporting other women who we, we know would make great leaders and encouraging them to pursue that, in terms of breaking through some of the ceilings, I think it's, it's a conversation that's happening more and more about leadership having more turnover in leadership positions, right? Particularly in Farm Bureau, there's a long tradition of longstanding leadership roles, and there are certainly advantages to that, but it doesn't leave room for a lot of change and a lot of diversity. And so those conversations are happening, but they're happening appropriately, carefully, if you will, if that makes sense. Marissa, let's hear from you. In that survey, they said, and I thought this was interesting, 95% reported they frequently advocate for agriculture, and they also believe they have the skills and the knowledge to effectively advocate, yet few of them are given the platform provided by leadership positions to amplify their own voices. How can we give this group of advocates, and you're an advocate, I know you, you're the CAFET, you, you're out there advocating for agriculture. How can we give this group of advocates the opportunities to use those advocacy skills? I think when, you know, we're just so afraid as an industry, right? We've, we've had so many times that we've gotten slammed, that we've gotten bad PR, that we're afraid to speak up and use our voice. And so I think, you know, a lot of people are, you know, will I lose my job if, if I say something wrong or will I represent my you know, company in the wrong way and stuff like that? So they just choose to stay quiet. And I understand that. But I think that from, you know, an industry, we need to support these people who are out there doing the jobs every single day and help them get a voice and, and understand that being silent and not using our voices is just as much as a risk. But then also we have to give them the tools to communicate effectively. So I've learned this along my way, right? Because there are things that we forget because sometimes we love to preach to the choir in agriculture, right? We like to preach to other farmers because that's who we think are judging us. But at the end of the day, that's not who we're advocating with, right? We're trying to impact the consumer that wants to buy our product or the neighbor who's concerned about our farming practices or things like that. And so we need to give people who want to speak up and use their voices the tools to do that in the right way. And that and I bring that up because I think about it when I first started, you know, I would show videos of, you know, draining an abscess because I'm a weirdo veterinarian who loves abscesses. And, you know, I understand the context of all that and other farmers and, you know, other, you know, vets like me, weirdos, we love that. 
But what I realized was if a consumer saw that out of context, they would think that was the norm for our industry, which we all know it's not, right? And so for me, I've learned along the way, it's like what I'm sharing has to go out to a consumer and that's really my target audience. And so I need to change the way I'm saying things, the things I'm showing things through context that can help build trust, but also show what we're doing on our farms every single day, if that makes sense. So that's what I mean by making sure that they have the right tools to do that in an effective way. It makes absolute sense. And today, more than ever, we all have to be out there advocating for agriculture and telling the great story that farmers and ranchers are doing on their farms with their livestock and um, raising food to feed the world. So Marissa, lastly, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, or perhaps, you know, you would say this to one of your mentees, what would you tell yourself? Oh, um, that's a great question. I think I would tell myself that it's, it's not a competition, especially within veterinary medicine. We're kind of all hyper achieving people, right? And we're all about grades and we got to get our grades. We got to get this experience. and We got to get into vet school. And then I got to do really, really well in vet school. And then I got to get out there. And now I'm competing against every woman in this space because if she succeeds, there won't be room for me to succeed. And that's just not true. There's room for all of us. The faster that we realize that one person's success does not take away from our own and that actually as we succeed, if we bring others with us, we can make such a bigger impact, the better. So that's probably what I would tell my younger self. Trista, while we still have you, if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you say? Or if not to your younger self, what would you say to a young woman who is looking for a career in agriculture or animal health? I would say that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. And so to try to think through what are your priorities at, at the time and how to make that happen. For example, like some of these like leadership positions or something like that. It may be something that you want to be positioned to do that, you know, in your 40s or 50s when your kids are in high school or you've gone through the little kid family stage and you have more time to devote to organizations. But in order to do that, you know, how can you start getting involved as a 20-year-old so that you have that experience and that knowledge when you get to that place in your life that you are able to run for leadership positions? That's a great answer. Terry, what about you? If you could go back and talk to your younger self, I'll bet your younger self didn't imagine where your path would take you. What would you say? Or to a younger woman looking for a career in agriculture or animal health? Oh, my golly. I certainly never expected to end up on the path I've taken. That's for sure. You know, I think I would take that question more and say, rather than a theoretical answer, I'll tell you what I do today. Being fortunate to be in the position I'm in so that I have quite a network of women who I work with and, and my own staff. And I try to use the example, a woman by the name of Susie DeFrancis was sort of the dean of communicators in Washington, D.C. when I came to town, if you will. I was at USDA. She was at Health and Human Services. And communicators would get together. You know, obviously issues ran across departments. So we'd periodically have reason to all meet and decide who was going to take the lead on this or that. And and watching the way she operated, she worked to give other women the opportunity to lead when she very well could have and, and perhaps should have, but certainly could have taken over. Instead, she came under, lifted up and then coached us along. 
And that was a real gift. And Susie's retired now, but she went on to lead communications at the Red Cross and did amazing work there. So I've tried to take that example and do the same for my staff in particular, where I have some young women um, and not so young women on staff who, who have kind of stayed in a particular role or who've never thought about, you know, seeking a higher or expanded role. And, and I push them a little bit. And I try to put them in situations where it showcases their abilities and builds their confidence. And externally as well, you know, we have women in ag group and an ag communicators group where lots of young women are coming through and becoming part of it. And to the extent that we can continue to encourage through those vessels and, and through any of our networks, just, I think, Telling someone, you know, you have some really good leadership skills. Have you ever thought about running for a position or an office or taking the lead or getting some training? Or I say that frequently to people who I see great potential in. And that little bit can make a big difference. I think you both raise some really good points. You know, sometimes the opposition doesn't come from the outside world, but it comes from from us. And, you know, we can be our own worst enemies. So trying to support other women and helping lift them up. I think that's a really great point. And if I could, Jane, to kind of echo what Terry was just saying, or or another side of that point is that make sure you're holding your business partners to account. If there are no females in leadership in their organization, make sure you mention that. For example, with one of the banks that we borrow from, I've been on the nominating committee the last uh, four or five years to try to to make some change on their board of directors and make sure there's some female representation on there. So even though, you know, I'm not taking the time to be the board of director member, you can still affect change even in a more minor role. I love that. I love that supporting women into those roles. That's just awesome. Thank you to my guests today, Terry, Trista, and Marissa. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. I think our listeners will too. And thank you to our listeners. We'll see you next month.